Uh, that being said, we're in the book of Philippians today, um, which is where we've been now for the summer. We've been walking through this book as a book of preparation um, and kind of seeing as Paul is towards the end of his life here um, and he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, he knows that he has, uh, he's most likely going to die in prison. Um, he knows that uh, he doesn't have much time, but he wants to send this message of encouragement and he's telling them to have joy even though things are difficult and he's trying to model that for them while he's in prison. Um, and so it's very uh, interesting to see how he lays out the reasons for joy and how to do that, uh, not as somebody who hasn't experienced pain, but as somebody who understands it all uh, too well. And so today we'll be in chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So just looking at a handful of verses, and I'm going to read them for us this morning, and then we're going to jump into things. Um, it says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think, and if, any, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day and for the opportunity that we have to study your word. And uh, God, we pray that you will just uh, show us your truth here this morning. Lord, um, still our minds, uh, remove distractions and help us, Lord, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to be transformed, um, to look more and more like you and to do your will, to be uh, a light in this city. Um, God, in the midst of all the things that are going on, uh, we pray that you would use us as we grow in you um, to be a beacon of hope and light in the midst of darkness. And so uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Um, so um, not too long ago, a lot of you guys saw pictures. I went on a family vacation to Destin, Florida. Uh, my in-laws, Grace's parents, were celebrating their 45-year wedding anniversary. They renewed their vows on the beaches of Destin, um, and it was all kinds of fun, you know, uh, good to, to hang out. They, they rented, uh, they paid for the whole thing, and they rented this giant three-story beach house, uh, and, you know, uh, pretty much uh, different families were staying on different floors because Grace has two brothers, and uh, so we were all on different floors, had our own arrangements, nooks of the house. It was really fancy. I almost put pictures up to show you how I was living. Um, but uh, it was fun. But I say all that to say, we decided with our kids, you're going to drive from Destin, from Houston to Destin. It's like 10 hours. And so uh, we made the choice to, um, to leave at like 11.30 p.m., middle of the night. We're just going to drive through the middle of the night. The kids will be asleep for most of it, hopefully, um, and uh, then we'll, we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, like two hours into the trip, or uh, maybe, maybe like two and a half hours in, well, I know we were in Louisiana at that point. Uh, Judah, our youngest, uh, got a little motion sickness, and so he like upchucks all over the back of the car. Uh, that was absolutely disgusting. 
Um, and uh, gr- praise God for grandparents that were following along because, you know, I, I would have cleaned it up because that's my child, but I didn't really want to clean it up. You know, like when it's like you got kids and you'll do it, but uh, if there's a grandparent around and, you know, they come and just like, oh, my babe. I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's vomit, but you uh, think it's cute. And so we, we get in here and we start going. It's a little, little bump in the road, but then uh, we keep going, we keep going. Uh, and I was super tired. I, I tried to take a nap, but just didn't really happen uh, leading up to we're driving. We get to Alabama. Um, at that point, it's probably like 830 in the morning or something like that. Uh, I'm starting to hit the wall. And I remember uh, being Uber, like I'm looking at Grace and I'm like, man, I think I need to pull over and uh, take, uh, take a breather or a switch because I guess she napped um, at some while I was driving. And then, next thing you know, I saw the most glorious sign that you could see on a road trip out of Texas. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't even know that you would ever see this sign outside of the state of Texas. But this beautiful sign had the face of a beaver on it. And it said, Bucky's in two miles. And I was like, what? There's a Bucky's in Alabama? What in the world? And so, yeah, we, we jumped. Uh, we pulled over. I got a brisket uh, taco. And next thing you know, like life got in me and I was feeling good. We were, you know, just like an hour and a half away from Destin and I made it. You know, I was like, let's do this. Um, it was great. It was glorious. I sell that to say, you know, we're on this road trip and we're journeying. There were certainly pit stops along the way, uh, some puking from, a ki- from our youngest um, and uh, uh, being uber tired, having to drive through the swamps of Louisiana, uh, which is uber creepy at night. It looks like perpetually where something goes down in a movie. Um, and, you know, we get to Mississippi, we get to Alabama, right when we feel like we're hitting our breaking point, uh, we, we, we get this pick-me-up for Bucky's, um, which is just wonderful. And then we make it. But all the while, we knew exactly where we were going. We had our GPS on track, and it was taking us to our destination. And, um, while, and then there were various points of times where we stopped and got gas and had encouragement along the way with some tacos and all that kind of stuff. And all that was necessary, but we never lost sight of where we were going. As excited as I was to see Bucky's in Alabama, we didn't drive from Houston to Mobile, 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 mobile what, I don't know how you say it, uh, mobile, mobile, I'm going to say Mobile, it feels wrong, Mobile. Mobile, thank you. Somebody knows. Mobile, Alabama. We didn't drive to go to Bucky's. We have Bucky's all around town. Literally, there's one like 20 minutes from my house. I don't need to drive 10 hours or eight and a half hours to go to Bucky's. We're going to Destin to celebrate the 45 year anniversary of Marcos and Irma Ramos. Like, that's what this whole thing was about. And even at that, we got to Destin and we did some things, but the whole reason why we were there was to celebrate this anniversary. If we would have done a ton of things and then not actually gone through the vow renewal that we were there for, we would have missed the point for why we were on the trip. And as Paul's sitting there encouraging uh, the church here, he's letting them know that there is a destination in mind. Like, well, it's not meaningless living. It's purposeful living. And all the things that go on along the way, there are places where God gives us encouragement. There are places where God gives us the boost that we need. But the things that happen in this world are not the destination. It's not the ultimate reason why we're here. College is great. Jobs are great. Spouses are great. Kids are wonderful. All those things along the way to buy a house and get out of debt and all those kinds of things, they're all great goals and things to aspire towards. 
But that's not the ultimate destination for people who are in Christ Jesus. The ultimate destination is to be with God face to face. That's what we're moving towards. That's what we're heading towards. There's a better thing. There's a better place for us than this world and all that it has to offer. It's not to say that everything that's here is bad. Uh, like I said, when I saw Bucky's, I was excited. But, but I had to understand it in its proper context. And as we're going here today, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're looking at what Paul's saying here in chapter 3. And it's important for us to understand, as Paul's talking about, you know, last week we, he talked about this upward call that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's uh, looking towards heaven. And then in verse 12 here today, he begins and makes this pivot like, I haven't attained it yet. We haven't, I haven't arrived yet. But the reason why I have to, uh, I am able to continue to go forward, the thing that's encouraging me and giving me life is A, understanding the destination and seeing how God has empowered us or freed us to be able to pursue that. Our main idea here today is this, is simple, is that Christ's sacrifice frees us to press towards full spiritual maturity. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our lives, it frees us to be able to press forward through all of the difficult things that we go through here in life, the ups and downs and everything in between, all the heartache, all the pain. It frees us to press forward towards spiritual maturity, understanding that the end goal is to be with Jesus forever. Like That's what we're pressing towards. That's what the, the hope is. It's, it's exciting for us, I hope. I hope that's a source of encouragement for us because you could attain everything that there is to attain in this world and still not be satisfied. You know, I know this because I look at celebrities and rich people all the time and they are some of the most depressed people constantly. In fact, it's incredibly sad to see people who literally ha- have everything that you could have that can buy anything that you can buy and yet find themselves disappointed. I've used this story before a long time ago, but I was most impressed. Uh, this was about 10, 12 years ago. Tom Brady, quarterback at the time for the New England Patriots, eventually uh, now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just won a Super Bowl. At this point, he'd won like two-ish Super Bowls, maybe three. Uh, He's doing this interview for 60 minutes. I don't have the exact quote, but I'm going to summarize it for you. He's talking, and they're asking him, like, they're listing out all of his achievements and all the things that he's done, and he's like, it's great. And then Tom Brady begins to make this point where he begins to say, like, Look, I, I, I've been at the top of the world. I have all the things that we could have. And it just seems like there, after having all, that, all the stuff that I could have, there's got to be something more, something more satisfying. And then the interviewer asks him, what do you think that is? And Tom Brady just responds back, I, I don't know. I just don't know. We're talking about a man that at that time was on his way to being the greatest football player of all time. And after winning multiple Super Bowls, marrying a supermodel wife, living, uh, having money upon money, millions of dollars, all that kind of stuff. He's like, there's got to be something more to life than this that's more filling than this. So when we put these things in their proper context, we understand 
It's not about the here and now. It's not about the things that we're pursuing uh, in this life. They are uh, important, but in their proper context. But what allows us to actually pursue spiritual maturity is that Jesus Christ has lived, died, and risen again. And that when you put your faith and trust in him, that is what brings you freedom. The freedom to grow and mature and to pursue after God's calling on your life and ultimately with the ultimate prize in, in, in mind, to see him face to face. So I have three relatively short points here this morning um, as we talk about followers of Christ and how we are, um, uh, and, and the foundation that's been laid for us to pursue God and maturity. So let's look at it like this. So followers of Christ, first of all, um, uh, followers of Christ, uh, our future is secure. That's the first thing. That we see that for followers of Christ in Christ, our future is secure. Um, What do we mean by that? Look what we see in verse 12. In Christ, our future is secure. And in verse 12, it says this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had has made me his own. Think about the power of Christ. And what that means for Paul. This is not that I've already obtained it. Like, I'm not there. I'm still moving forward. Like, I'm still pressing on. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's talking about the power of Christ as the initiation, the cause of, of, of these things. It's basic cause and effect. So oftentimes, uh, when we think about faith... Uh, and our faith, we often, not intentionally, but we often uh, miscategorize or mis, uh, mischaracterize our faith journey. Our faith journey doesn't begin with you having an, a, a spiritual epiphany about your brokenness and need for Jesus. The, that's the, the actual principal cause for you to be, be able to have access to God and fellowship with him is that God sent his son to die. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Cause and effect. God loved the world, that he makes the initial action, that he sends his Son, so that whoever, that's the secondary thing. It's not the principle. It's the secondary thing in this. And so Paul identifies with this concept here. And he says that I'm able to press on and make Christ my own because he made me his own. It's like the old hymn that uh, my, my, my grandma used to sing, albeit in French. My family's from Haiti, and so she used to sing all kinds of songs in French back in the day. Uh, but she used to sing it in French, but in English it was, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. I love him because he loved me. I press forward because he's pressed towards me first. I'm able to make him my own because he has made me his own. And there's certainty in this. Like what he's talking about here, there's certainty in what Jesus has done. It's not that he might do it. It's that it's already done. The future is secure. We are in him because he has pursued us, and because he has pursued us, 
Our future is secure. So there's an unshakable hope and security that we have in Jesus Christ that gives us strength and courage. It's, it's incredible to, if you begin to wrap your mind around it, like it's already done. So that's the first thing. In Christ, our future is secure. But the second thing is this, is that in Christ... Our faith moves us forward. In Christ, our faith moves us forward. What do we mean by this? Let's look at the verse 13 and 14 really quickly. It says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul does a very interesting thing here where he essentially deals with past, present, and future. I'm not going to lie. I am a, a science fiction nerd. Um, love it. Loves outer space. Basically anything that deals with like time travel, outer space, things like that. Like I'm 100% in. Let's go with it. This is amazing. Uh, absolutely love it. Like that's, that's like my thing. Uh, recently, I was watching this video um, on outer space, and it was basic, well, not space, so it, was, it had to do with space, but why we can't travel the speed of light and all this other kind of stuff. And they were basically saying that if you could travel faster than the speed of light, then you would actually be able to go back in time, which in and of itself was like a mind melt. Uh, and the reason why, if you think about it, what do you see? You see what you see because light bounces off of somebody or something and comes back to you. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing light hitting something uh, and coming back to you. So if you could run faster than light, then you would be running past something hitting you. Like you're going back in time. It's pretty, pretty intense to kind of think about. I, I'll absolutely love it. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. And it made me kind of wonder then. I was sitting there watching this video on time travel. Uh, on, really, it was on the speed of light and how it going the speed of light would be terrible and going faster than the speed of light uh, wouldn't really work for us as humans. Um, that's not really, uh, it's not, that wouldn't be good. You, you, would not, uh, you would not survive that. But if somebody could ever create that, te that technology. So then I started thinking about time travel. I'm like, huh, and what would it be like to be able to go back in time? And what time would I go back to if I could uh, see something? I feel like this is a question that sometimes people like me who nerd out on stuff think about. Uh, what, where would I go back in time to? And then I began to kind of go down this train of thought and just understand that, like, I'm literally standing where I am today because people in the past have done things that have led me to be where I am, and then I'm presently doing things, and I don't really know who's going to come behind me. And then I always wonder, like, do people even understand that they're always making history when they're making it, or are they just living their lives and stuff just kind of happens? I'm going through this whole thing, this whole mental exercise, um, and then I'm pretty sure it was time to, like, uh, do actual work or, or something like that. And so I was like, Mac, uh, get back focused. But what's crazy about it is that in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, what we see is that it allows us to have our entire past, present, and future wrapped up. And so we're able to move forward in faith. What do we mean? Paul says this. 
Remember in verse 13, as we just read, he says, I do not consider that I have obtained it, but forgetting what lies behind. It's like forgetting what lies behind, forgetting everything that came behind in my past, which is incredible because Paul has quite the past. Last week, if we looked, remember, he talks about uh, his pedigree. He talked about the great family name that he came from and all the accomplishments, being a religious leader and all the stuff that he had going on. And he said, look, if anybody had it going on, I had it going on, but I consider all those things to be nothing in order to attain Christ. And so he's like forgetting what lies behind, but not just the great things of his past, the shameful things of his past. Because Paul recognizes consistently throughout his writing that he's not perfect and he falls short of perfection. And at times, the things that he's done bring him, brings him great sorrow. And every last one of us have things in our past that, are, that we're ashamed of, that we're embarrassed about. That if people actually knew that you said or thought or did that, you'd be humiliated. And so we see within this movement that Paul, Paul's like, look, forgetting what lies behind everything, both the good, the bad, the pedigree, all of those things, I'm going to forget every last one of those things and continue to move forward. And for so many people, the reason why they're not able to move forward in their faith is because they're still holding on to the past. They're still angry about things that happened in their past. They're still trying to relive the days when they thought that they were great. There's nothing more depressing. I mean, we live in Texas and high school football is what it's all, but there's nothing more depressing than seeing a 40-year-old dude talking about that back when I was in high school state. Like, yeah, nobody cares, man, uh, that you won state um, or you just barely or whatever it is or you were some great athlete. Guess what? You're 45. You're not doing that anymore. Like, just stop it. Move. That, not, that's not even like the end of your life. It's just saying, like, there's more things for you to live for than what happened when you were 17 years old. Are you really trying to say that the peak and pinnacle of your life, you, you topped out when you were 16? Like, man, that's sad. But at the same time, people still bitter and angry about things that happened in their past. It's like you actually have to let that go. Many of you guys know that my dad walked out on us when I was about a year and a half. And for many years in my life, I spent time being bitter and angry about what my dad did or didn't do. And he died a couple months before Thanksgiving, back when I was uh, eighth grade. He died a couple weeks before Thanksgiving in eighth grade. Um, And I remember going to his funeral. And the thing that I was most angry about at his funeral was that I had lived my whole childhood life uh, expecting to have like a Will Smith type moment on The Fresh Prince when his dad comes back and he gets to give like some big dramatic speech. And so I was living my whole life like I'm going to make something of myself so that when I do, I can come back to him and be like, look what you missed out on. But then he died. And I was like, you don't get to leave and then not give me the opportunity to make the speech. I was bitter. I was frustrated. And all throughout high school, that bitterness and anger and frustration uh, was mounting and, and building up in me. And then in college, I'm driving in the middle of a country, um, a country road in the middle of the night, uh, doing some late night thinking, looking at the stars. And I'm processing all of these things. And it finally just hit me. It's like, Mac, he's been gone now for almost a decade. 
You can't live your life still arguing with the ghost of somebody who's no longer here. And there was freedom in letting go of that. Because at that point in time, I hadn't made, met grace yet. But I can tell you this much. If I was still focusing on the things that my father did to me or didn't do or robbed me of when I was a child, I wouldn't be able to be the father that I am today and the husband that I am today and all the great things that have come from that. And so many people are not able to let go of what lies behind them in order to move forward in faith. But he also doesn't deal with just the past. He deals with the present. He's like forgetting of what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Like that's presently what he's doing. I've forgotten about my past and now I'm moving forward presently, uh, pushing towards the upward call, the prize. Like I see what I have, what the, the goal that's in mind, and I'm pressing towards it. And he ultimately says that I'm going to make a choice today to live a life in faith, moving towards the goal, the prize. And you ultimately may not be there yet, but you can't get there until you leave. Like that's just the reality of it. Like, I'm, I'm here right now, and after this, well, people are going to go eat lunch, and you can't get to lunch until you actually leave the building. Like, this is just practical common sense. And in the same way, Paul's like, look, I haven't gotten there yet, but today I'm going to make a choice to move forward, and I'm moving forward in faith. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, I'm moving forward in faith. But then he deals with the future. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing on towards the goal. There is a destination in mind. As we said, this isn't meaningless, meandering, driving around, trying to figure out what's happening. No, there's a goal in mind. He's trying to get to that place, and he understands it, and he continues to walk forward. And praise be to God that the things that we do in this life are not meaningless when we're walking in faith. Like There is a reason for the ups and downs. And God actually knows what he's doing, and that's why he can perfectly weave all of our brokenness and pain into his purpose for our life. Because he's in control. Because he knows what he's doing. It's incredible. It's it's humbling, but it ultimately gives us a reason for strong faith in God to move forward. So in Christ, our future is secure. In Christ, our faith moves us forward. And lastly, this, in Christ, our outlook is transformed. Or reformed, sorry, that's what the notes actually say. What does that mean? In the last two verses here, he, he says something that's really interesting. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He uses these words, let those of us who are mature embrace this mentality. And ultimately, he's speaking about maturity. And maturity isn't just about, like, having lived a long life. I know plenty of people who've lived a long life uh, but aren't particularly mature. I learned this a lot when I got engaged. And engaged couples might have experienced this. 
Um, when I got engaged, uh, it was really interesting. Uh, some of you are already getting uh, salty. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, I found that like there were so many like older couples that gave like the worst advice in the world, and it basically centered around this. Um, they would these guy old guys would walk up to me and be like, "Get ready to learn these two words, and those are only the words you're going to use for the rest of your life." Yes, and ma'am. And I'm like, "Oh God, Lee, is that that really?" That's really what 40 years of marriage did to you? Yes and ma'am? That's, that's all? That's it? Uh, you know, uh, they, they, I literally had one guy, an uh, older guy at a church that I was working at at the time. Uh, he walked up to me and he said, I'm going to give you the same advice that my father-in-law gave me. Now, keep in mind, this is his wife's dad. It's father-in-law. He, and his father, he said, my father-in-law said this, how much do I have to pay you not to do it? And I was like, What? Goodness gracious, man. Like, uh, and I, in my back of my head, I was like, I guess if I was married to who you were married to, I'd be, I'd be irritated. But, you know, you made that choice. That was on you, you know. Um, as for me, like, I'm very happy. Look, I've been married eight years, and it has not been easy. Uh, but, but in general, I, I feel like I did well for myself. You, you marry above your station. You find a girl that's better than you, and you, you do some trickery on her and get her to think that you're better than you are, uh, and then you get engaged. You're like, look, we're, we're attached for life. You can't get out of this now. Uh, I said, for better or worse, richer or poor. You know, like, so, so we're in this together. Uh, but, you know, like, you get married, you do your thing, you get in. But what I found is that just because people... Um, have lived a long time doesn't mean that they give good advice and that they're particularly mature. Because maturity isn't just living a long time or just having experience. Maturity is about having the right perspective. perspective. And if your perspective hasn't changed, then you're not actually mature. It's like I've got experience. Yeah, but you've done a bad job for the last 20 years. So what experience, what good is that experience? And what you're actually looking for in maturity is to have length of time with a depth of perspective. So he says, for those of us that are mature, think this way. It requires the way that you think, the, your worldview, your entire framework by which you embrace and do life to be transformed by God. And ultimately, if our walk in Christ, if our spiritual walk doesn't lead us to be wiser, to have our mind transformed, by the, you know, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. If your mind isn't transformed, you haven't accomplished anything. And we don't attain maturity simply by manipulating outward actions. Yet if I just do nice things or I don't listen to this or don't watch this movie or uh, X, Y, and Z, all that kind of stuff, don't drink this, don't eat this, don't party here, don't do that, that's not actual spiritual maturity. First, your mindset has to change. And once your mind is changed and reformed, then you're able to hold, as he says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You have to be transformed by God. And then that allows us to embrace what he has for us. And so where does that lead us here today as we kind of close things out? Is this, 
is that the principal thing that begins then is encountering Jesus Christ. All of us are imperfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of perfection. There's not a person in this room that is perfect. And that is kind of a problem because that ultimately means that our sin separates us from God. And if I can be gross just for a second to make it plain, look, I've got kids and they're great. I love all three of them. They're running right next door uh, doing their thing. And uh, I love my kids. But you know what I don't do uh, is drink after my kids um, because they are disgusting. Um, And uh, there's nothing more gross than uh, looking at a cup and seeing things floating at the bottom of it. You're like, wow, how do you do that? Um, uh, It's rather impressive. And it really wouldn't matter if there was a lot of stuff floating at the bottom or a little bit of stuff floating at the bottom. Like, I, I didn't want that, you know? Like, uh, I don't drink stuff with pulp in it, and I surely don't eat bits of food that my kids chewed on in a cup. And in the same way, it doesn't matter whether you've sinned a lot or a little. Then there's stuff in the cup of your life, that sin that floats at the bottom, that makes it where a perfect God cannot have fellowship you know what the beautiful thing is? The principal action of Jesus Christ is that he took the cup of our life and when we put our faith in him and ask for his forgiveness, he empties out that cup of filth and he pours a new drink of himself into that cup and that allows us to have fellowship with God. And the truth is, what we've said here today is that when you put your faith in Christ, you ask for him to forgive you of your sins, your future will be secure. The faith that you put in him will allow you to take steps forward. And he will begin to radically transform your mind and the way that you think so that you can properly understand and move in the things that God has for you. It's not about just crying it out and having a spiritual experience but it's about the life that we have in Christ. What's you've been given is life. God has a way for you to live today, things for you to experience today, things for you to do for him today, things that the God of the universe that created everything would have a plan for you today. But it begins with faith. And no matter who we are in this room, it means all of us have a response might be asking for God's forgiveness for your sins for the first time or saying, Lord, my mind needs to be transformed or uh, my faith has been wavering and I'm not moving forward. But no matter who you are, you have a response to the call of God. Do you stand with me and let's pray?